0: Welcome to NodeWorthy, the official podcast of Techno.com. I am John Artman, Editor-in-Chief. And so this week we're talking with David Lancashire, founder of Saito.Tech, about uh, what he's doing uh, with blockchain, which is uh, what Saito is trying to do, um, as well as some of the big challenges that uh, that blockchain is is facing. And I think that any any uh, studied listener or listener who's listened to uh, either uh, previous episodes of this podcast or uh, previous episodes of the other podcast that I do uh, with Matthew Brennan, China Tech Talk, uh, we'll we'll hear a lot of um, hear a lot of similar things. Uh, in particular, about uh, issues around scaling, uh, issues around the technology itself, and what it can actually do. Um, and, you know, David's one of those guys where he's he's coming from a pretty deep engineering background. I mean, so actually the day that we were recording, he was spending most of that day going through code and, uh, and debugging, uh, which is always interesting to hear from a founder. Uh, and so he's coming from a very technical perspective, which I think is good, but also he's able to... Um, but also, David is able to uh, explain things in a way that a non-engineer or a non-technical person can understand. I do think, however, there are some points where we get in the weeds, which I, which is important for this type of topic. Um, but that but that does mean that sometimes there is a bit of uh, of of knowledge that you that you should have uh, about blockchain before you can fully understand kind of where we're coming at it uh, in, in the conversation. Uh, that being said, it doesn't happen too often. Um, And I do think that when when we do go into the weeds, it is still uh, a very interesting uh, conversation. But before we jump into it, I wanted to remind you that if you have not already you should definitely subscribe to our newsletters. Uh, We send out newsletters every single day, including our daily briefing, a curated summary of the most important technology stories in China, as well as the China Funding Daily, a curated summary of the most important and biggest fundings in the startup ecosystem here in the Middle Kingdom. But without further ado, I give you David Lancashire. All right. Well, David, thanks so much for taking the time to to join us on, on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, John.
0: So uh, the first question that I like to ask uh, people who, you know, our listeners might not be so familiar with is, you know, just give us a, a brief introduction of who you are, uh, what you're doing, and uh, and let it tell us a little bit about your China story.
1: Uh, sure. Well, I mean, the China story is, I think it's interesting for everyone who's kind of ended up here. Uh, you know, I uh, started learning Chinese in university, and, you know, one thing kind of leads to another. Uh ended up in Beijing, learning the language, uh, got into a tech job at uh, down in Shanghai, uh, came back to Beijing around 2008, uh, got my own business started. It was a pop-up Chinese. We were doing language education and got into the blockchain community in Beijing there. So in terms of Bitcoin and blockchain, I've been involved, I guess, for the last six or seven years. And it's just been fascinating watching what's happening in China. So, uh, Sato, which is a blockchain project. It's what I'm working on now. Uh, it's about a year and a half old. Um, we just raised a seed round about uh, two months ago, and we're a small team of four people working on building what's essentially a new kind of blockchain. So it's not a blockchain designed to be money, and it's not a blockchain designed to run smart contracts. And it's, uh, it's fascinating to talk to, uh, people about it because uh, either they fall in love with us right away, or they get confused and they, you know, they well, what on what on earth is it then? So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're a blockchain project based in Beijing for now. Uh, we're kind of seeing what happens with China. Uh, you know, the the Chinese government is it's got a love hate relationship with blockchain. So we'll see what happens in the next year or so in terms of being in China long term.
0: Yeah, I think that's that, that's that's a really interesting um, question, which I think that we can probably get come back to. Um, but but in particular, I mean. So tell us about Saito. What do you what what is it and like? How did you how did you uh, come up with the idea of it and, and what are you trying to do with it?
1: Uh, sure. I mean, the origins of Saito is basically an attempt to create a very niche application blockchain. Uh, because you know, if you want to use a blockchain for some kind of application, this was back in the spring of last year, and. You know, the challenge is, uh, you know, the scaling debate was basically exploding then, where people are saying, you know, if blockchains get too big, they're going to collapse. And uh, I'd been in a WeChat group uh, that really had a lot of movers and shakers in China in it, and this debate had been going on for quite some time. So uh, Sato is the result of a a process of actually figuring out uh, a solution to the underlying scaling issue. Um, that comes from thinking about the scaling issue not as a series of technical problems that needs to be solved, but rather as a product of economic problems. Uh, Those economic problems being that people have an incentive to try to cheat the system or game the system. Um, In Bitcoin, for instance, the incentives are for miners to spend all of their money on mining and none of their money, or as little as they can get away with, on running the public network. And... The uh, the second issue is you know it's it's basically things like the blockchain gets too big, so you know the the what we're doing with Sato is in some ways it's a very very traditional blockchain. Um, on the other hand, the solutions that we use to uh, they change the way the incentive structures work and how people get paid, and the result is that a lot of problems with proof of work and proof of stake that are resulting in these. Uh, really complex and labyrinthine technical proposals to make things work just go away.
0: And, and, and what do you what do you mean by that?
1: Uh, well, I mean I, I can give you specific details. I mean one example is one example is in economics. Uh, in economics, we have words for it. Uh, there's the free rider problem, for instance. Well, you know, let's take a look at Bitcoin, and it might be a bit easier to understand if we've got something to to compare SATA with. Uh, Bitcoin is really an ingenious solution. Um, and one of the things it taught us is it taught us that if we have a network that is money, then that network can support itself. And so any network that has a token that's money and that pays fees, if you set up the incentives right, you can get away with not having someone run it because the community will run things in a decentralized way. And one of the things that's happened is because Bitcoin is an economic system, and because Bitcoin is serving a community that generally believes in free markets and capitalism, people get a bit confused. And they think, well, the incentive system in Bitcoin is perfect because Bitcoin is this free market money. And that's not true. Uh, and so we can take a look at Bitcoin and we can see that a lot of the issues that the network is having growing and scaling, and by this we mean expanding the number of transactions it can process, are a result of the incentives not actually working quite the way we want them to. Uh, one very uh, one example of this, for instance, is you can think of miners. So miners are the ones that take these transaction fees. Uh, they take the transactions and they put them into blocks. And so the miners get the fees that the transactions pay today, and they put the transactions on the blockchain, and then the rest of the network needs to support that block, they need to store it, and whenever anyone asks for the data, they need to to feed it out to them in perpetuity. So this is one problem, this is, uh, in economics, this is called the tragedy of the commons problem, and you can think of it like a pension system, that when the transaction goes into the block, it's basically being promised a pension, and the pension says, look, you know, if you pay the fee today, we are going to take care of you in your old age, we're going to give you all of the bandwidth and all of the storage that you need. Forever. And this is kind of challenging in the Bitcoin space because, uh, partly because of the sort of the libertarian right-wing angle, but when you ask people to think about things in this way, they go, well, of course that's a problem. Um, and another problem, though, is also the miners here who are putting the transactions into the blocks. They don't even need to stay around. So you've got this economic incentive problem where I can be paid today to do a lot of work And then I can disappear with the money and I can give the work to someone else to do. And one of the big scaling issues that Bitcoin has, for instance, is the question of how to deal with this blockchain. Um, how big can the blockchain get before this pension system becomes problematic? And so, you know, one of the solutions, uh, which one of the Bitcoin forks has gone with is let's keep the blockchain, let's keep the size of the blocks really small so that the problem doesn't become too big. And another one of the chains uh, has said basically, look, this problem isn't as bad as people think it is. But either way, if we're talking about building a network that is super scalable, it's actually a problem. Because it's going to impose a cap on the amount of transactions that we can process. And it's not actually technological. It's not that we can't build the pipes and we can't build the hard drives to process this data. The problem is fundamentally economic. So, that's one example. Uh, let me give you a second. The second example is kind of similar, but it's, it's, if the first example, the tragedy of the commons problem is, I can get paid today for work someone else has to do tomorrow. The, the free rider problem is, I can get paid today for work that somebody else has to do today. And, Bitcoin, uh, both Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, proof-of-work and proof-of-stake systems, have this problem because people are paid 100% for mining or staking. So if we use Bitcoin as our example, all of the money goes to miners. And if you talk to people who are serious Bitcoiners about this, they'll say, this is not a problem because the miners make all of the money, and so the miners have the money to support the network. So the miners will lay down fiber optic cable and the miners will collect transactions and the miners will send the transactions to each other. The problem is, if you actually step through the incentives, miners don't have an incentive to do anything except mine because they're not paid to do anything except mine. And we've seen this in Bitcoin as big miners like Bitmain have not wanted to accept the responsibility of paying for the public network. So as the network grows, as it takes more and more storage, as it takes more and more bandwidth, there's a financial incentive for the miners themselves to uh, to stop doing the things that the network needs them to do and only do the things that the network pays them to do. And when we say that a lot of the scaling issues are economic instead of technological, this is what we're talking about. Because there are other ways of running networks, like the commercial internet, where... You know, no one says, well, you know, if you say the commercial internet, we can move, you know, petabytes of data. No one is saying that's impossible because what well, we're paying them. However, a lot of these scaling issues in blockchain are because the, the work that we want people to do, we're not paying them to do. And so the people that get paid, they've also got an incentive to cheat. So one of the things we like to uh, give to people as a thought experiment is thinking about how many technical attacks on Bitcoin are actually attacks on the economic system, uh, and I can go into detail if you'd like. I don't want to, I don't want to overwhelm you with uh, with too much tech, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's this, this is this is all good stuff. Um, I think that just just take a, take a few steps back. Um, I mean, so when we're when we're looking at at Bitcoin in 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 particular, um, I mean the the block size I think is a really interesting issue Uh, of course um, uh, transactions per second uh, the ability to process transactions is a really interesting issue um, as well but I mean, like, I, I I'm kind of curious. I mean, like, when we're looking at you know what's happening with Bitcoin right now, you know, Bitcoin ABC, Bitcoin uh, SV, uh, excuse me, Bitcoin Cash, um, uh, ABC and SV. Um, I mean, I can't help but like, but like, kind of look look back to to last year with with the original Bitcoin Cash fork, and and kind of wonder if if in, to what degree that was a bit of a scam, um, because you know basically what it was is that. The miners who switched to the to the Bitcoin Cash uh, network, they they rewarded themselves pretty much with with double coins. So for every every Bitcoin that you had, you also mm-hmm. got one Bitcoin Cash. Coin, uh, and that, and the, you know, this this hasn't really happened since that original fork. But I'm kind of curious. I mean, so you know, what, what do you what do you make of that, and and how does that inform kind of what's happening with ABC and SV these days?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the SV ABC thing's fascinating, isn't it? You know, I, I think anyone watching it, you know, it felt to me watching the fork news like it was watching election night. You know, and and there's a small coterie of people who actually get that this is of critical importance. Like, how big is the blockchain going to get? is China going to be able to participate if it maintains its firewall? Um, and, you know, the mainstream news just didn't get it. Um, the, you know, you had a lot of thoughts in there. Um, I think the, the really interesting thing, the two points I'd make about it is, one, when we take a look at the SV versus ABC fork, we can see that all of the attacks there are economic attacks. So there were two moves that people were making. Um, the first move that was made was made by Enchain, where they started piling their hash power into the BCH chain ahead of the actual fork. And what they did is they were lowering the rate of return that any other miner was having for mining uh, Bitcoin Cash. And what that did is it drove profit-interested miners off of Bitcoin Cash to other networks. So, this is really interesting because, you know, well, people are worried about technical attacks on the blockchain. Well, here we have an attack, or I mean, is it an attack or is it not? It's just how Bitcoin works. But if you are an ABC supporter who considers that an attack, no one is attacking these technological cryptographic primitives. What they're doing is manipulating economic incentives to get other people to behave in ways that benefit them. And that's the case basically of someone saying, look, uh, and it 's actually it 's a general security vulnerability with proof of work and proof of stake uh, generally, which is that if you are willing to mine or stake uh, at at enough of a loss that you push the network so that there 's no return on on interest, no return on investment to other people, other people will leave, and if that happens, the question is well how secure is the network and that 's well how secure is a network that 's defended only by volunteers. Um but kind of moving past that you had you know we had the uh, the SV approach which was uh you know prior to the fork they unquestionably had 80% of the hash power uh and then after the fork you had Roger Ver who moved in a ton of hash and he moved it in from another chain and this is a really interesting thing because it gets back again to these economic incentives if you are uh if you are mining on the bitcoin algorithm the existence of all of this hash power Outside your network is an existential threat because it can do this. It can flood into your chain and then the miners who are in control of your chain, all of a sudden they can have these changes forced upon them. And again, you know, ABC people will say, well, this isn't a problem, this is how Nakamoto consensus works, but they are actually wrong. Um, and the reason they're wrong is that if the miners are in charge, the miners get to decide what chain exists because they can attack minority chains. So you could have a fork in that minority chain it doesn't survive because it can't process any transactions. If you've got all of this hash power off chain, the miners lose this control. And you know, another example of it's an attack but it's not really a technical attack is it's an economic attack. You can say, well, why haven't the the BTC miners killed Bitcoin Cash? And with this fork again with ABC and SV, why are both of those forks still alive? Because we now have three major communities that are trying to build uh, economic, uh, they're trying to build an economic network around the same hashing algorithm. Why? Why do they not consider the existence of these other forks an existential threat to their own security? And you know, for us, we we pull it back and we say this is another example of an incentive problem related to proof of work security, because everybody wants to get paid. And what that means is you've got, maybe you've got this security threat, like Bitcoin cash forks away. And it would be, it's best if they get forced to use a new hashing algorithm. Because if they get forced to use a new hash, hashing algorithm, their mining and their economy is not threatening to flood in and, and, and swamp yours. But nobody wants to waste their money and their hash power to go and attack the minority chain. Because everybody wants to get paid and proof of work by its nature doesn't have a way for miners to collude so that you know you can send 5% of your hash power to take care of that and it's one of the really interesting things that people haven't been talking about with the fork which is that we we've had um SV and we've had ABC both of which are backed by really strong really dedicated crypto players i mean both enchain and bitmain have a roadmap um and you know we actually kind of prefer svs in terms of it's a, it's a pure play proof of work and we think it's we think it's a bit better but you know you've got these two strong players and the ability for them to threaten each other basically boils down to this sort of hegemonic power position where the only reason that enchain can threaten to attack sv is because you've got this really rich player who's willing to burn money to crush the minority fork And what does that tell you about the security dynamics of of proof-of-work? Well, it says, well, maybe, you know, well, we know that proof-of-work is more secure if you crush minority forks. but if proof-of-work requires you to be backed by a billionaire and have this hegemonic power in order for the network to stay safe, you know, is that a problem with Nakamoto consensus? And that's hard to say, but it's a good example, again, of just how what people think of as Technical problems are often economic incentive problems in disguise.
0: Yeah, and I think I mean it's interesting because you you one of the things that I did I did want to bring up and this this dovetails really neatly into that is um, you know the discussion that that you had on stage at uh, TechCrunch Shenzhen just uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and and I think that that a lot of the arguments you you've already made that 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 you made on stage, but I I think that one of the super interesting things um, about uh, any a lot of discussions and and and, and the technology in particular um, is that while there are significant potential security risks, we're not really at the point where where it matters. Um, what 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 matters? I mean, ob- obviously security security is is important. I'm not I'm not saying otherwise, but um I mean we're, the the technology is it itself isn't quite there yet uh where whereas whereas what we're really kind of dealing with I think is is the human problem um and this is this is true you know I mean like like let, let's just just for example um uh blockchain for for supply chain I mean you know everyone's a lot of the uh a lot of supporters are um, saying, "Hey, this is this is a really great solution," you know, to, for to make sure that data provenance and, uh, you know, to that suppliers and and uh, and buyers can make sure that all the all the information is. Uh, transparent and easily accessible and, and trustworthy and things. But it, I always, I can't, I can't help but think about Gigo, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If, if yeah. someone, if someone, you know, uh, accidentally or, or, uh, maliciously, um, you know, decides to falsify data, um, well, that data is now on the blockchain and how do you change it? <laughs> You know, um, yeah. so 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 it's it's one of those things where I think that you know you know kind of kind of what what you were saying before about you know economic versus technical attacks. I mean, an economic attack is 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 something that has nothing to do with the technology itself. It has everything to do with the humans that 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 are actually using it.
1: Well, I mean, I, I disagree there. I, I think that the the examples you're describing are valid, and I think they're really legitimate criticisms of blockchain. Um, and there are legitimate criticisms, particularly in the context of what we've seen in the last year, where you know, there was a lot of blockchain mania, um, you know, especially I guess last summer, more than a year ago, where you'd have all kinds of people who were doing, you know, I'm doing X on a blockchain, and then, you know, people get excited. And, you know, the questions that you're asking are are they're the right questions to be asking, because as you say, you know, garbage in, garbage out, the fact that you're using a new kind of network doesn't mean that the business model works. Um, what we're talking about when I talk about economics more is how the economics are, It the, the technology is, people think that the technology is just cryptography and it's black box signatures, and it's not that. It's the technology is structuring a set of economic relationships and a set of economic incentives. So, you know, not to get back to Sato, but... Maybe to make this a bit clearer, you know, one of the problems or one of the questions with proof of work is you're paying the miners all of the money. Why do you do that? You do that because this is the only way you can give out money in a way that's fair. Because why do we use mining? Well, we use mining because we can measure the amount of work that people are doing and then we can give out tokens in proportion to the amount of work people are doing. You know, that's why we use mining. You know, it's not that we have a fetish for burning electricity. It's not that everyone says, hey, great, you know, let's burn a lot of energy and heat up the planet. It's that this is technically, uh, it's technically the only way we can get those two properties. Measure work and pay people in proportion to the amount of work done. Now, the problem is, and the economic attacks come in, in the fact that, well, the work we're paying for is not really the work we want done. We want people to run the network. We're only paying for mining because it's a safe way of distributing money. And if that payment mechanism is not safe, then your network won't survive because everyone will show up with their hands out asking for food, you know? Like one example we give is Ethereum is struggling to figure out how to pay for storage and bandwidth, for instance. And, you know, you can, the the problem they have is how do you take some money away and give it to people without having a system that everyone can just cheat? Because as soon as you say, well, we're paying for bandwidth, what's stopping me from setting five servers up in my basement and having them send data in a circle back and forth until I've racked up 10 petabytes and then I say, hey, look, guys, I've spent a lot of money on bandwidth. So one of the fundamental problems when we talk about technology and economics is it really gets down to a core discussion of what is value to the blockchain. And this is the fundamental problem that Sato solves, and it's why it's a very, very big deal. Because if you look at proof of work, to Bitcoin, to proof of work, value is mining. Uh, to proof of stake systems, value is staking. Uh, but, you know, if you want to pay for storage, if you want to pay for bandwidth, if you want to pay for decentralization, there's no actual way to figure out what the value of those is to the network, and you can't do it without either one of two things. Um, the current solution set that all of these networks are doing is essentially they're closing off the list of people who can get payment. So uh, if you take a look at um, you know, at DPoS systems, they'll have things like validators. It's a separate class of nodes which are typically elected and the network agrees that those nodes can get some money for doing some extra service and in return for that, we're going to monitor them. Now, There's a problem here because blockchains are supposed to be open access and this is stepping away from an open access system. What Sato does is we move in exactly the opposite direction. We say, the problem is we don't need this complicated technical solution that moves us away from a blockchain. What we need to do is we need to fix what we give money in exchange for. And so what Sato does is it says, we can replace mining with this other system uh, and what Sato does essentially is it's a kind of mining where you mine by sending data across the network. And if it's new data that the network hasn't seen, the network considers that valuable. And so the people who are introducing transactions to the network, new transactions that have valuable fees, those people make the money. So uh, it's, it's an entirely different approach, but again, we can see that what the technology is serving is economics. And what Sato does is, I mean, it's really in some ways, it's an implementation of classic Bitcoin, but it's an implementation of classic Bitcoin where we, we have to change what mining is because we we don't want those economic incentive problems that mining give us. And so what Sato does is says, look, if you know if we're paying for transactions and we're paying for transaction fees, what do we incentivize? Well, we incentivize people to start collecting transactions. And we incentivize people to put those transactions in blocks. And the people that move the most data get the most money. And if you join the network but you don't add anything of value, well, you don't get paid at all. And so the technology is there. But what the technology is structuring is the incentives. And then the layer below the incentives is the question of, well, what do you value? Because you need to have a measurement of value in order to create incentives. And those incentives create the economics. And then those economics are bounded by the technical uh, decisions that you make. It's kind of a bit abstract, isn't it, John?
0: Uh, yeah, it is. It is a little bit, uh, I, have to, I have to admit. Um, but, um, I kind of, I, th- I think maybe kind of moving away from some of that stuff a little bit. I mean, we we meant you mentioned earlier, you know, whether or not you're going to uh, stay in China, um, you know, and I'm kind of curious. I mean, like what what what's what's your read of the of the current situation for for blockchain uh, in general, and then you know what what do you think would be some factors for Sato to decide to move operations outside of the mainland?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, we hear conflicting things. Uh, I think obviously everyone knows that the government has really crippled the blockchain industry here, uh, forcing the exchanges to leave. Uh, We hear that they are aware of the problems. Um, What we're seeing is we're seeing also that the government is stepping in to try to support blockchain projects. Although, I mean, to be frank, most of the ones we see just aren't very good. Um, A lot of these blockchain projects, they have these systemic economic problems and people aren't focused on addressing them. They're, a focus, they're focused basically on taking uh, what we consider to be broken broken models and saying, well, you know, if the government is going to back them, we can do this with a social credit system or we can do that with a social credit system. So it's sort of, you know, the same old China where technology is being leveraged as an excuse to get certain kinds of funding and support from the people who will have the deep pockets to pay for that. Um, you know, it's it's hard to know what's going to happen. I think the the positive outlook for China is that what networks like Sato are going to deliver is a new kind of internet that China is not going to want to be left out of, and eventually China will have to open up its uh, open up its open up itself to the outside world for the simple reason that what blockchain tech really delivers at scale is a version of the internet where you can't. You can't decide what comes in and comes out. You still get to make the choice of whether you want to use it. But if you want to use it, you have to you have to use all of it. And we think, you know, in the early stages, that's not going to be clear. But when we have global supply chains running on a blockchain, uh, it's going to be madness for China to say we don't want to sell things to the rest of the world. Um, you know, when, when global shipping is being run and you need to be able to interact with the blockchain networks to get your goods onto these decentralized shipping networks, I don't think China is going to want to say, no, we don't want this. Uh, so that's kind of the long-term carrot. And the, the one of the problems is that regulators are generally behind the times. So people, even today, they're looking at blockchain as if it's a kind of money. And one of the one of the consequences of the scaling debate is it's almost as if the Bitcoin community has said, "Yes, we can only be money," um, and that's kind of reinforced everyone's uh, really a mistaken idea of where the industry is going. But when you look at it as basically uh, an internet of value or an information network, which is a hundred percent secure. In which everyone has a provably identifiable cryptographic identity and on which we're going to decentralize things like, uh, Telegram and WeChat and Uber and supply chain networks. Um, you know, that's a really, it's really exciting. And it's also, it's going to be more challenging to regulate. Um, and I don't think that the current attitude that some regulators have, uh, I don't think it's going to work long term you know you know kind of stepping back to the internet in china in the 1990s uh you know if china had to choose you get to use cell phones but you have to permit people to use them you get to use uh email but you have to permit people to use them you know i think the chinese government is going to be pragmatic about it um
0: yeah i mean i think it's i mean that's a really interesting issue because i think that um for for the government in particular um I mean, I mean, I mean, we can already see that, that that China is, you know, probably the most progressive when it comes to, or maybe not progressive. Progressive is not the right word. Um, I, I, perhaps they're one of the most proactive uh, countries when it comes to uh, blockchain, uh, both in terms of in terms of encouraging development, but then also uh, in terms of regulation as well. Um, so, so I think that you know, my my sense, um, and just you know, I, I mean. Uh, predictions are, are never never a good idea, but but here we go anyway. But here we go. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so so my my sense my sense is that you know it, it's what's going to happen is similar to what's happened with with the internet is that uh, the government you know I think. And, and one of the reasons that that they are so proactive is because uh, because they don't want the same thing that to happen with the internet that actually almost happened. In 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 particular, we look at the content available online, uh, and there was a point where you know. The amount of content available online was not uh, in line, let's let's say, with uh, with uh, party values, um, and because of that, there was a lot of you know creativity. Uh, there wasn't very much regulation, um, and even then, you know, on on message message boards and and social media networks and things like that. Um, you know, there, there. I think there, there was a point where the government was definitely kind of caught on its on its back foot, uh, with with what the technology could do, and in fact, what it what it was doing. And so, the reason that it's so proactive with blockchain is that on the one hand, it recognizes its value. Um, there's there's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different things that it could uh, help to improve in China, uh, delivery of, of uh, public services, yeah. uh, keeping keeping of uh, public records, um, also perhaps even curtailing to an even a larger extent uh corruption. So being able to track where, where money is going, how it's being used, and and things like that in terms of procurement or or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, there there I think what we're going to see is a blockchain for China and a blockchain for for the rest of the world, where, um, as you were saying, I mean, like, so for global shipping, I mean, this is this is where interoperability comes in, right? Where um, ch- the the chi- Chinese regulatory bodies are able to say, "This is our blockchain, and this is how it's going to interface with the global shipping network."
1: I mean, that might be it. Uh, you know, you you commented like a blockchain for China and a blockchain for the rest of the world. That's what the SV ABC splits looking like. I mean, that's one of the issues was does China get to Does the Chinese industry, uh, get to play with the blockchain or the blocks going to be too big? Um, you know, I'm, I'm more optimistic. I think one of the things, you know, a lot of people in China, people focus on, you know, China and regulatory censorship and that, but a lot of the more pernicious issues are actually in the West as well. Um, in that, you know, when I take a look at something, when I take a look at Sato, you know, we think that what we're building is basically a version of AT&T. Uh, it's a version of the 18t tcpip network where the network actually has memory and it will remember what data has been sent to you for a limited amount of time um, and you know one of the questions you know if we take a look at the west where you know companies basically are increasingly caught up in these culture wars and you know people want people want networks and they want websites to be responsible for regulating all of this speech and there are now laws in place in in various places where you know what you, you know, Twitter can be held held liable, or you know, uh, or or some website can be held liable for this stuff, and um, you know that is that is as much threatened by uh, blockchain technology in, in many ways much more than what China is. You know, China can have its own blockchain. Um, you know, I'm I'm not as optimistic as you that they'll be able to firewall it. Um, I think what might actually happen is. You know, as the US tries to, uh, you know, lever up on things like the SWIFT network, things like Bitcoin and things like blockchain should seem increasingly attractive because, look, if you want a global replacement for the SWIFT network that is not censorable by uh, a government that is doing things that you don't like, or if you are caught in a trade war, I mean, one way around it is to use a financial system that is not under the control of the person or the government that you find yourself at odds with. So, you know, we'll we'll see how things we'll see how things play out. I think it could go both ways. Um, I'm not optimistic that regulators anywhere actually are going to understand what happens. Um, I think they'll continue <laughs> to be on the back foot. You know, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I tend to agree, but I mean at the end of the day, um, you know China China is is kind of a, a technocracy, uh, and so in that mm-hmm. sense, I think they do have a bit of a leg up when it comes to technology. And I, I don't necessarily mean in terms of uh, innovation in in in, in particular, because um, I I to be to be honest, I don't think we see much technical innovation coming from China. Yeah. Um, well, Sado, but, Sado, <laughs> right? <laughs> come, on, come on, of course, of course. Uh-huh. It's the new internet. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, because the, uh, there, there, it's a technocracy, but it's a technocracy run by engineers. And engineers, it's all about uh, implementation uh, mm. rather than rather than technical technical innovation. So, I think that if any if any country might be able to have a handle on it, it could it could be China. But that handle is going to be uh, perhaps detrimental to the to the you know the uh, the the underlying thesis or the original yeah. ideology behind uh, behind blockchain yeah. um, and, and 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 things like that. I mean, um,
1: well, one one thing I'll say that China has China has a lot of really smart people on blockchain. Um, I'm thinking, you know, we met with Li Lai and that guy is sharp. Um, and we've met over time with other people running exchanges uh, in the in the Bitcoin community, and you know, these people know what blockchain is um and they really like the message and you know that's a huge asset for a country like China um so you know we're, we're all hoping that uh, we're all hoping that things loosen up i don't know what's going to happen with Sato. i mean um we're considering a move to hong kong or singapore uh, maybe australia or chile we'll see um i mean you know it's things move so quickly but um yeah i i, I agree generally with what you're saying you know we'll we'll have to see what happens
0: so I'm kind of curious. I mean, you know, when it when when it comes from like so so me, I, I would say that I'm 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 definitely an outsider uh, in 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 blockchain. You know, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, any, anyway, uh, I'm I'm definitely definitely uh, what what I consider to be an outsider of blockchain. And so one of the things that I'm always kind of curious about. Um, is you know there's there's a lot of companies and, and you know including yourself um, that kind of say hey we're 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 doing this this is this is kind of how we're improving this is kind of what 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 we're trying to do and so my my biggest question is on the one hand um, so as a company let's say or as a protocol uh, survivability right so if 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 a company is kind of focusing on um, an incremental improvement or an incremental solution to 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 a problem. Um, what's the likelihood of them, you know, ultimately winning in in the space, let's say. Um, and then, and then, you know, also just like how many other people are doing, uh, what, what perhaps you or, or what other, other people are are trying to do. And so I'm just kind of curious your, your take on that.
1: Uh, I mean, in terms of what we're doing, uh, have you seen the film Ready Player One? Of course, of course. Uh, this, uh, great film, you know? The book was A- better. There's this, <laughs> the book was better, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's that scene, uh, the race scene, um, yeah. which was new in the film, it wasn't in the book, where, you know, it's like the guy has to turn around and you've got, you know, the metaphor of the commercial rat race. And the subtext is like, look, if you want to win this, you can't participate in this commercial rat race. You've got to turn that car around and you've got to drive as quickly as as you can Away from it, and that's how you win. Um, and that's basically what Sato is in the blockchain world. Everyone is building on proof of work or proof of stake, and everyone is developing these complicated technical systems. And it's kind of like when you've got like a you know a kind of a bubble under a rug or something, or it's like whack a mole, and you and you knock a, you knock it out here, and something pops up somewhere else. And the reason that happens is the economic problems aren't fixed and so if you develop a complicated technical solution to like okay now we're going to have validators that are doing this all you're doing is introducing attacks on the system otherwise so uh, you know I don't know how I don't know how survivable these other blockchain companies are um, I think most of the ones that are going to be money are just going to be crushed by Bitcoin uh you know my money would be on Bitcoin SV because I think they're the most I think they're the purest most scalable version of Bitcoin that we're going to get. Um, That being said, I'm not worried about Sato because I think everyone on our team, I mean, I I view it as the problems that we fix, we need to fix. And Sato is the only system that I'm aware of that fixes them. Um, And so this is what's really interesting us, to, to me actually, when we go out and we talk to people, we talk to them about the economic problems. And People are kind of surprised because they don't think about it as an economic system. And if I can kind of comment without going too inside baseball on you guys, you know, one of the things that people think about is, you know, people talk about a Bitcoin and blockchain and the Byzantine generals solution and that, you know, it's a solution to the Byzantine generals problem. Well, people think that's an economic solution. That's not. That's, an, it's an information problem in computer science. And the information problem is if you've got honest people who will honestly tell you what they think, how can you guarantee they're not malicious actors trying to fake you out in a crowded room? That doesn't mean that the people will actually do what they say they're going to do. So again, like on this very deep level, there's this confusion between uh, a technical solution and an economic solution. And the economic ideology that people have, that we're creating this sound money, that it's a perfect market, gets translated into the assumptions of how the technology works. So, you know, if you listen to, I mean, Craig Wright, in my opinion, the guy's a genius, and he's one of the smartest people on blockchain. And if you listen to him talk, he really sets himself up above the crowd because he's one of the few people that talks about Bitcoin as an economic system. Uh, but, you know, even, even Craig will say like, look, We're paying the miners because the miners have to pay for the network. No one is asking the question well, do the miners have an incentive to do that? And, you know, I'll give you one more example of an incentive problem. Uh, You know, picture it is the year 2150. And the block reward is dead. So all of the money that miners are making is coming from transaction fees. Now, in this world, You're going to have two kinds of miners. Uh, the Bitcoin protocol expects that the people who are running the peer to peer network, who are spending all of this money to collect transactions and to broadcast them into the network. And at scale, this is a massive amount of money. You know, you're running the networks and the servers that are collecting the transactions from everyone in China. So, you know, think of the amount of money that Bitmain will have to spend to support this infrastructure. And, You've got miners who don't want to do that. Now, is it rational for the miners that are spending the money to broadcast those transactions to their peers? And the answer is no. And so, you know, the incentive structure, again, it's a a catch-22. Because if the miners do broadcast the transactions, you can have other miners who don't need to spend a cent sourcing them, who free-ride on Bitmain's you know, voluntary contribution to the network. Now, if that happens, you know, if Bitmain is spending half of its revenue sourcing transactions, running the peer-to-peer network, and you get another miner that spends none of its revenue doing that, and it just latches onto Bitmain, well, the miner that doesn't spend the money is twice as profitable as Bitmain. And hashing is an evolutionary arms race. So Bitmain is basically going to continue to go bankrupt and lose market share until they stop so that's one outcome that's not very good. The other outcome is you can say, well, look, the, the rational economic solution to these free rider problems is you basically have to close the group of people who can benefit. So you, you close the groups so that the people that uh, pay for things, that undertake the costs, also get the benefit. What this would mean is this would mean Bitmain saying, look, we've sourced these transactions. There's no way we're going to give them to you parasitic leeches. If you want to get transactions to make blocks, you collect them yourself. Now, in this environment, if that happens, well, if I'm a Bitcoin user, who am I going to send my transaction to? I'm going to send my transaction to the biggest player in the economy because they're going to have the most money, they're going to have the most hash power, and they're going to produce the most blocks. So if I want fast payments and fast confirmations, my behavior as a consumer is incentivized towards making the network incredibly centralized. So, you know, again, it's like, it's the technology. What are the incentives that we're creating and how does it work out? Because fundamentally it's about money.
0: Yeah. So 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 I mean this is this is what's what's absolutely fascinating. Um, I think and it, and I think that it just goes to show that the principles of of the internet are still really at play because it's 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 network effects. You know, um, if 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 a company is able to uh, build the the best user experience and in in, in this case uh, the ability to to process and and broadcast transactions, yeah. um, and they're and they're able to give that that uh, uh, you know the the smoothest experience, then then more people are are going Going to want uh, to to use um, to use that uh, that that processor, uh, which that which, which then gives them more power, and and you know you have the next Facebook or the next Amazon or yeah. or, or whatever. Um, this is well, I
1: mean, you're 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 gonna, we're going to get all of them running on a blockchain, and I mean for us this is why Sato is going to win. Um, we don't really have much doubt about it. Uh, you know the the secondary outcome is that the techniques and tools we're developing get adopted by other chains as they figure this out,
0: but um, yeah, so so but the so yeah, so the so the 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 point the point being is that um I mean, we're. I mean, even even like in, even the internet was built upon this idea of of decentralized, uh, a decentralized peer to peer information network, uh, and then blockchain or or Bitcoin in in particular is you know a peer to peer decentralized value uh, network. Um, but at the but at the end of the day, no matter even even though the the beginning ideology, let's call it, or or the initial thesis was that that it is possible to build a decentralized network, the actual fact of the matter, uh, the actual the End result is still going to be a fairly centralized system uh, because there's. Well, well, no, it's not going to be. I mean, with Sato, actually, we solve the problems.
1: So you can have decentralization at scale. Um, you know, I, I, I fundamentally agree with you. It, it's also why the big challenge is scalability because scalability is what delivers network effects. Um, but on top of scalability, we also have to have low cost. So again, this is another reason that we're convinced Sato will be superior because, you know, Uh, Proof of work systems, you've got to be mining a lot of energy. And on top of that, then you need to pay for the network. Well, with Sato, you just need to pay for the network. So, uh, you you know, the cost of a transaction on the Sato network will be lower than the cost of a transaction on a comparable proof of work network because we're not running the network uh, for free and then doing a lot of mining. You know, if you run the network, you get paid for that. So, you know, both networks have the same costs in running the network. It's proof of work though has all of these additional costs which need to be layered onto transaction fees. Uh the, the proof of work permanent ledger blockchains, they've also got to store masses of data that Sato won't need to, because Sato, we have a transient blockchain. So if you are storing data on the blockchain and you're paying the lowest fee, well, the blockchain may decide to remove your data. So you better be monitoring how much you're paying for storage. And storage on the blockchain becomes a lot more like storage on Amazon, where the price of storage fluctuates based on market yeah. demand.
0: Well um, well anyway, I mean I think I think that we could probably go back and forth on this. I'm gonna make a final point though. Yeah. Um and I and, and I think that 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 for me the way that I see it and and, and um, you you probably disagree with me, <laughs> um, but uh, but the, but but the way but it, but it really does feel like again I mean like and this this analogy is used uh, like all over the place it's come, it's become a bit cliche but cliches are coming to for become cliches because they they tend to be true um, is that is that we really are kind of like seeing seeing a, a fractal of of the of internet development and I think when, what 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 mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about in particular is that you know in the early 90s uh, there was a lot of technical innovation about what the internet was and what it could do. Uh, and so you have companies that were were again kind of what I was saying saying earlier, making like in- incremental improvements on on, on on the protocols themselves, or or how the protocols were being used, yeah. or novel ways of transmitting and, and receiving information. But the thing is, I mean, eventually they were they were incorporated into larger companies. They became they be, they themselves became larger companies that are doing something different. Um, and so so from mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting, I mean, like Sato for example, it sounds like a really interesting company. Um, and and what you guys sound like, what you guys are doing sounds super interesting. But I'm also, but I'm always just kind of like, I'm 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 also kind of in the back of my head thinking, okay, so, you know, as as a as as a company, where 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 is this kind of going? Um, and for the and this this applies for the entire industry because you know you can't, I mean, to my mind, you can't really build a sustainable company on on you know just one or two technical innovations. You know, what's what's what yeah. what's the business model going to be? And you know, at the end of the day. You know, like if 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 a bunch of these companies get bought up by larger blockchain companies, well, that's great, uh, because then those those technical innovations, obviously, they were uh, useful. uh, Then they they will continue to be used, and and you know they will continue to be iterated on. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, John, I'll I'll start by saying I actually agree with you on most things. So if I (laughs) if I'm highlighting the things I disagree with you, it basically means you get a pass on everything else. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, you know, I, you ask about like SATA was a company. um we're focused on building the future, okay um, so we don't actually know what it looks like. Uh, the win for us is. A mass scalable decentralized blockchain across which we can run real applications. And I just want to take this and link it right back to what you said at the beginning, where you talked about how in the nineties, you know, there, it really was kind of this explosive innovation at the edges of the network, you know, like we had Internet Explorer and we had, um, uh, Mozilla that were really just defining what the protocol of HTML even was. Mm. And what has changed with that is centralized services like Facebook, um where basically we have centralized companies that have created the application lives on their server and it 's free for us all to use because they 've wrapped it with their advertising layer and what is going to happen with Sato uh, and with other networks that use the sorts of things that we 're building that really generate mass scale the fun thing it's it, and it, it's it 's going to be amazing to see when people actually begin to realize in the mainstream what is going to happen because The application no longer sits on the Facebook server. The application, it's like a Bitcoin wallet that runs in your browser. So there's no Facebook. And if there's no Facebook, but you're still using Facebook, well, who is developing Facebook? And the answer is there's no one Facebook. There are now 10,000 Facebooks, 100,000 Facebooks, because all Facebook is is an open source application that interacts with the protocol of the information that is sent on the Facebook posts that I make on the blockchain. And at this point, we're going to go right back to the 1990s. Uh, innovation is going to absolutely soar and all of these Silicon Valley or high-tech business models that rely on, we own your data, we control your data, and we're going to monetize it through advertising, Goodbye.
0: Yeah. Well, I certainly it's going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be one of the the next decade is going to be probably the most disruptive we've had since 2002 to 2006. Yeah, yeah. Um, Since the emergence of these kind of centralized, because the business model is going to change, and not only does Facebook go away, but the Facebook advertising business goes away because all of a sudden niche advertisers they can emerge Mm. because using using sato using a blockchain based system i can put their ads on any website that i'm using and and viewing so the advertisers are no longer locked out of the market because they can't build attractive enough content to break in so uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely the thing I think that we're most excited about is seeing a return to actual innovation and seeing a lot of these uh, predatory business models mm. that are exploitative and really actually abuse people's trust in their data. I mean, they're, they're just going to disappear
0: yeah i'm 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 not i'm I'm definitely not not that optimistic I mean I, and again, I do think that the potential of the the technology is there to do something like that but um but as as always with any with almost any technical system the 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 weak link the weak weak link is the is the humans themselves um well, well the weak the weak link is scalability sure you know sure. uh you
1: know we we think the limits today are about 100 terabytes and that's just underlying network infrastructure mm. so you know like f- to have a global email system on a blockchain we need to be in petabytes a day right. so you know maybe we're not going to replace facebook day one but you know reddit is what 3 terabytes of plain text data a day that can go on a blockchain
0: i kind of hope um, not, i like reddit <laughs>
1: Well, you know, you might like Reddit a lot better if it had decentralized moderation, right?
0: Well, no, I mean the, the, the issue—the issue with Reddit is now is—is is of course that they're actually trying to uh, trying to monetize on it, and they have to be very, very careful, or else they're going to completely alienate uh, alienate their their users. But um, but yeah, David, so I think that we're a, a de, and a decentralized Reddit
1: doesn't need to be monetized well, like, well, because it pays for itself when you pay for a transaction fee, because exactly. the transaction fee is what pays for the network. Exactly. So
0: yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so again, I mean, I think, I think this, this, uh, this actually ended up being um, longer than I expected, but it's really not not a problem. It was a fun conversation. I feel like we could probably keep going for like another hour or so. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I can talk nonstop.
0: so yes. we should cut it off here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but David, so yeah, thanks, thank, thanks, so much again for joining us. And um, if uh, if people want to find you online, where should they, where should they do that?
1: Uh, come to our website which is uh, Sado saito Dot tech, tech and you know all of the information is there people can find out what we're doing they can visit testnet and they can actually see real live blockchain applications like email uh, live on the network so
0: perfect yeah okay.
1: please please do come
0: definitely and we'll we'll include that in the show notes
1: perfect and thanks uh, thanks for inviting me to John